fire. Contained and controlled can be a wonderful and helpful thing. Wild and uncontrolled, it can be scary and dangerous. Fire has long been a symbol for the divine. Warm, tremendously useful and illuminating, and very powerful and awesome. Back in June on Pentecost, we talked about fire and getting fired up and how that image is so important for us in the life of faith and with the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to deal with the same spirit that was at work in Moses through the burning bush. We're not going to focus so much on the people escaping slavery in Egypt as much as what happened in and through the burning bush. A question. How much do you want God? How much do you desire to have a close relationship with God? The degree of desire can be illustrated by this comment overheard in the hall of the VA hospital in Long Beach several years ago when they were doing a fire drill. We emptied the place in six minutes and thought that was pretty good until quitting time at 4.30 when everybody got out of the building in three minutes. <laughs> our desire often affects our actions. And our intensity of desire for God is usually reflected in our lives. In college, a friend of mine shared an experience, a traumatic experience that happened to him. And the image it conjured up in me has stayed with me all these years. It was on a hot summer day. And as a young teenager, Greg was at a municipal swimming pool. And he always had to stay in the shallow end because he didn't know how to swim. But all of his friends were at the deep end jumping in off the diving board. And it looked like such great fun, he decided he would just walk around, get up on the diving board, and jump in. He said that as he struggled in the water, there was nothing he wanted more to do than to breathe. He didn't want a new car. He didn't want a new stereo. No new clothes. Nothing else. He just wanted to breathe. He just wanted air. And he concluded his story by saying that that should be our longing for God. God may be wanting to move in our lives, but unless we recognize our need for God, it will be hard for much of anything to happen. And when we do recognize our need for God, we can begin to be open to God's movement in our lives and the new life God offers. Christian scholar Kenneth Scott Latouriette, after reviewing Christian history, came to the conclusion that newness in Christianity does not come from logic and intelligence, but from souls who have opened themselves to God and been made great by the touch of God's Spirit. 
Remember the word spirit literally means breath. Breath. But our intellects are important as well. You've probably heard the one-liner which says, Minds are like parachutes, not much good unless they're open. And so it is with open hearts and open minds that we can be ready and receptive to experience God at work in our lives. And in so doing, we will experience mystery all around us. One of the truest sayings of the medieval thinkers was, Omnia exuant in mysterium, all things pass into mystery. We know this to be true if we have ever stood silently pondering the creation. Moses was awed by the mystery of God, for our text, which Linda read for us a few minutes ago, says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame and fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and lo, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, this mystery, why the bush is not burnt. Moses was not only awed when he bumped up against this mystery of God, he also was receptive. He responded to the mystery by turning and moving toward it. He moved toward it. He didn't stand back in fear. He moved toward it. Because he responded, then God encounters him. And this is precisely what our text goes on to say in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. It was then and only then that a dialogue between God and Moses could begin. The implications of Moses' experience on our prayer life and dialogue with God are manifold. In the dialogue with God, Moses begins to understand God's identity, though it still remains a mystery. For who can understand fully God's response when Moses asked him who he was and he said, I am who I am. I am who I am. The Adonimsa, one of the Jewish prayers for feast days, is the answering voice to this tremendous name. You are. The hearing of the ear, the seeing of the eye cannot reach you. No how or why or where can lead us to you. You are. Hidden is your secret, who may fathom it, deep, so deep, who can find it? God is the ground of all being. That explains God in part, but not completely. And isn't it interesting that God should appear to Moses in a bush? God probably wanted to strike some common ground with Moses. And what better way than to use something very familiar to him, 
Certainly there were hundreds and hundreds of bushes on that mountain, and Moses had passed them day after day after day. And God may have said to himself, any old bush will do. The important thing is that I need to talk to Moses. Well, that was several thousand years ago. What about us? Our faith affirms that God's intention is to still communicate with us. Being a parent or a grandparent is a gift, especially with newborns and and little children. And have you ever noticed how people talk to babies? That's how we do it, right? It's a way of trying to get on their level and communicate, and yet to have this engaged, alive relationship of love and caring. But it's amazing how we can be reduced to nonsensical babblers. And the poor baby's probably wondering, who are these crazy adults anyways? It was the great reformer, Martin Luther, who said, when God speaks to humanity, God always speaks in baby talk. God does this, says Luther, because God is love, and therefore he never forgets that no matter how old or how big we become, we are still like helpless, dependent, unknowing babies so far as our faith is concerned. So God bends to our infirmities. When God speaks, Luther continues, he tells us only as much as we need to know, only what we can take. God talks baby talk to us, and that's what he did through the babe in the manger. Again, a common stable became the place where God chose to communicate with the world. This morning, I want to suggest that any place can be a burning bush experience for us. It's doubtful that for us it will be literally through a bush, because for those of us here, this is our common place. Our burning bush experience might happen at the office, at home, in the yard, on the sidewalk, in the city, or at the beach. If we look with eyes of faith to the ordinary things around us, we may discover God communicating with us in ways that we were never aware of before. I also want to suggest this morning that any one of us can be a burning bush. Any one of us can be a burning bush. The great preacher Leslie Weatherhead in his book, The Will of God, has this to say. Picture in your mind children playing on a mountainside in a tiny stream that eventually joins a river in the valley below. Now, very little children can divert the stream and get great fun out of damming it up with stones and dirt and clay. But not one of them can ever succeed in preventing the water from reaching the river at last. In regard to God, we are often like that. Though we may divert and hinder God's purposes, I don't believe we ever finally defeat them. And though the illustration doesn't carry us so far, frequently our mistakes and our sins are used to make another channel to carry the water of God's plan to the river of God's purpose. How much better to flow in God's channel, bending our will with God's. 
When you see God's glory reflected in this lovely earth, in nature around us so full of beauty, in poem and song and picture and music and great architecture and in lowly service, in the lives of lovely people, in the happiness of a home and the health of the body and the resilience of the mind and the saintliness of a soul, then looking up to God, say, your will be done. Your will be done. Any one of us can be a burning bush that draws others' attention and directs them toward God. And finally, I want to suggest that any time can be a burning bush experience. I imagine that most of us find time to do what we really want to do. And so we are brought full circle to the question with which we began. How much, how much do we really want God to be part of the time we've been given? Poet and writer Ralph Waldo Emerson has said, this time, like all time, is a very good one if we but know what to do with it. Moses gives us a clue in his open response to the mystery. What's being said here this morning is that if we are not open to encounter God in the common places, the common people, and the dailiness of our lives, it won't matter where we are or who we're with or what time it is because we will never be moved off dead center and see any more than we want to see. But if we look with eyes of faith, any place, anyone, any time can be a burning bush experience. The point of this sermon is not to focus on burning bushes, but on experience itself. Experience with God happens when some kind of dialogue or encounter occurs. And as was mentioned earlier, prayer is just a religious word for dialogue. Scripture tells us that Jesus was in regular dialogue or prayer with God. And John the Baptist picks up on the image of fire and the burning bush when he said that Jesus would baptize with it. And when he, Jesus, was being baptized, Luke records that he, Jesus, was praying. I'd never thought of baptism as prayer before. But it is. Baptism is a dialogue with God. God is saying in baptism, I love you. And we respond by saying, we accept and we want to love in return. Prayer is the coming together of people with God. And so the late Harry Emerson Fosdick could say in his book, The Meaning of Prayer, the thought of prayer as communion with God puts the center of the matter where it ought to be. The great gift of God in prayer is God's self. God's self. And whatever else God gives is incidental and secondary. When we pray then, 
We don't need to ask for strength. Rather, we can ask God to be strong within us. We don't need to ask for power. We can ask God to be powerful within us. For you see, prayer is seldom answered by a change of circumstances and conditions. Rather, it is through changes of people and attitudes. Any place can be a burning bush experience. Any one of us can be a burning bush that draws others toward God. And any time can be an opportunity for a burning bush experience. So I want to close with, with a thought from a book on prayer by Olive Wyan. To ears which have been trained to wait upon God in silence and in the quietness of meditation and prayer, a very small incident or word may prove to be a turning point in our lives and a new opening for God's love to enter our world, to create and to redeem. As God looked at the mountainside when Moses approached him and said, any old bush will do to accomplish my purposes, so he looks to us today and says, any old one of you will do as well. May it be so. Amen.